Thank everybody who helped out with the, uh, the glow hunt yesterday. It was just an amazing thing. So many people here. Got to serve a lot of people in the community who don't normally go to church. I uh, got to see a lot of your family and friends. It was just fun. And I love seeing kids having fun. It's just a good, good time. So I appreciate all the hard work they did. I appreciate everybody who made today happen. And um, I was telling somebody this morning, they were saying, I was, I've had people come up and tell me, oh, are you just really busy during the season? Like, well, yeah, but really a lot of people make this happen. It's not me. I mean, it's them. So thank you so much. I want to encourage you too, Pastor Jeremy was just talking about those classes on Wednesdays. We're starting new classes this Wednesday. So please look, uh, you know, hit, hit that uh, QR code or whatever and find out. There's some great classes. I know um, I could highlight all of them, but I'm excited that the Rollins are doing one on marriage. It's just cool. Because remember, they're, they're my Jesus story, and then uh, it's just awesome. Well, I'm excited about today. Are you excited? You know, we call this uh, Resurrection Sunday because that's what it is. This is the day we celebrate Jesus rising from the dead, and it was Sunday morning, bright and early. I, I want to just say this, too. We showed a, a movie I had never seen. I guess it come out, came out in 2016 called Risen last Wednesday. It was great. If you guys want a little uh, viewing this afternoon, maybe it just it kind of tracks a Roman soldier who was there, and then he's tasked with trying to find Jesus' body afterward, and they couldn't find it because it wasn't there. But it, shows, it just tells his story from his perspective. Really, really, really good. So Resurrection Sunday. You know, it's the highest of all holy days in Christianity. It's, it's the pinnacle of our faith. Because if this didn't happen, then nothing else matters. And, and all the other holidays are important. They're, they're good. I mean, Christmas, who doesn't love Christmas, right? God with us. I mean, God came to earth as a baby and all that. And, and Good Friday, we just celebrated with a worship service here. And it was amazing. And, uh, you know, that's awesome. But today, Resurrection Sunday, this is it. This is the big day for all of Christianity. You know what amazes me? I remember the first time I heard somebody say, well, actually, Jesus didn't intend to create a religion. I remember thinking, really? Is that true? Because are you sure? Because what's interesting about that is they say he didn't. They say he was just a good teacher. And they say sometimes that, you know, he just did maybe some tricks and fooled people or Maybe he really wasn't dead, and then, then somehow he revived, or maybe you know, it just wasn't quite like that. But the, the problem is with that is um, you know, they'll say that like maybe his followers made it all up like hundreds of years later. The, the problem is it would take hundreds of years to create a legend like that, and that's not really true because what we have actually is really interesting because what we have is we have eyewitness accounts that were written within just a few years of his death. And they weren't hundreds of years later. In fact, what's also funny about it is these, guys, these eyewitness accounts, they were actually verified in multiple, multiple ways. Some of the ways they're doing that, I mean, think about this. His followers were so anxious to get the word out that they couldn't wait to tell everybody. So they spread out all over the known world at the time. And then what they would do is they would write down all these memories and we have them as eyewitness accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they would copy them over and over and over to make sure everybody had a copy. There are so many. Here's what's interesting, too, about this. Is if you look back at ancient people that we know existed and we know said things, whether it's Plato or Aristotle or, or uh, even Caesar, Rome, uh, Julius Caesar, the fact is we only have a few copies of what they wrote. And you compare that to Christianity and those eyewitness documents, we have in Greek over 6,800 just of that. And then, if you add in all the other languages, because they spread to all of these parts of the world, so there's in Latin and Syrian, I mean, all these other languages, then that number jumps to about 24,000. It's just impossible to say it was written 100 years later, because we have documents within just a few years of Jesus' death. What's interesting, too, if you look at that, 
is you've got people like Paul, the Apostle Paul, who we talk about a lot in church and we know him, but, but if you were to try to get maybe a contemporary comparison to Paul, you would have to probably go to like an Osama bin Laden. It would be as if he converted to Christianity and then he became a leader in the church. That would be what Paul was like. Because when Paul was not a believer, he was, a, he was an Orthodox Jew, he was a Pharisee, he went around persecuting Christians, so much so he would take them and take them to jail and take them into persecution. And as you read about his story, he was actually on the way to do that when Jesus Christ appeared to him, and that changed him radically. So radically that not only did he become a leader in the church, he wrote more books in the New Testament than anybody else. A change like that just doesn't happen because someone believes a story. That change happened because he saw the risen Lord for himself. Not only that, it doesn't even end there. It's amazing to me. There's also, uh, not only do you have Christian references to Jesus, but then we have no less than 10 outside sources that talk about Jesus, all written within years of his death. And these sources come from Romans. So you can think about a Roman historian like Tacitus or, or a Roman governor like Pliny the Younger. Or you have other people like... Uh, you have Josephus, who was actually a Jew, but he was hired by the Romans to write a history of the Jews. Then you even have in the Talmud mentions Jesus, which is the Jewish, one of the Jewish writings. All of this, and they all say things that we know about Jesus from, and it corroborates what the eyewitness accounts in the Gospels wrote. It talks about him being a miracle worker. It talks about him going around and doing good deeds. It talks about being an amazing teacher. It talks about him, some of the miracles, even specifically, it mentions these miracles. Then it also talks about how his followers would celebrate him on the first day of the week, and they would worship him as God, and they said he rose from the dead. Now, what's amazing about that is you have over and over and over and over people saying, yes, he lived, he died, he rose from the dead, he did all of these things. It's incredible. Hundreds of years later, people were already celebrating him and the church was formed and all of that happens. It's amazing. I mean, here's another thing that's amazing about the story. As you read the New Testament, some of us who've grown up in church our whole life, you miss this kind of thing. But as you're reading it, if I was going to make up a story, not that I ever have, but have you guys ever made up a story? Have you ever noticed what you do? You end up somehow being the hero in your stories. Have you noticed that? No, somebody said no. I don't think that's true. Okay. You ever notice what you do? You kind of shave off a little of the details, so maybe something that went wrong wasn't all your fault, or right? You, now, sometimes we tell stories that make ourselves look bad, but, but for the most part, if you're going to tell a story like this, and if you're going to be a leader in the Christian church, aren't you going to make yourself look good? And what's true about the Bible is you read it, it's so raw. It's so honest. And as you're reading it, you see the flaws of these people who then become leaders in the church. And they're really deep flaws. I mean, you see, at one point, not only does Peter deny Jesus three times, but right before that, he's telling Jesus that, you know, he says, I don't want you to go to the cross and die. You shouldn't do this. And Jesus literally says to him, get thee behind me, Satan. He calls him Satan. So if you're going to be the leader of the church later, you don't want people calling you Satan if you're going to write the story, right? Wouldn't you change that part? There's some other things, like, for instance, the, the disciples themselves apparently didn't believe Jesus when he said, I'm going to die and I'm going to raise again. And he said it over and over and over and over. It just, it just couldn't enter their minds. And so when they see the crucifixion happen and they see the brutality of, that the Romans inflicted on Jesus, and they see this man who they had followed, this man who had walked on water, fed 5,000, fed 4,000, he had raised people from the dead... And yet, when they see him beaten and bloodied and, and buried, they think it's over. Now, if you're telling the story, wouldn't you make it yourself look better? 
And they don't. They're just honest. In fact, if they believed, they would have been the ones at the tomb waiting for Jesus to raise. Wouldn't that have been cool? Can you imagine if they really did believe it, anticipate it, and they got there and they were just sitting there waiting for it to happen? That would have been pretty cool to watch you know, the, the stone blown away and, and Jesus come out in a glorified body. But they didn't. They didn't believe and then what ends up happening is women go to the tomb in the morning to, because they had to rush and put him, put him in the grave in the first place, they went there to add more spices to you know, basically cover the smell of decay. So even they didn't believe he was going to raise. And then when they get there, they see the risen Lord, and then they run back to tell the disciples who are hiding. I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound like how I would want to be portrayed. Think about doubting Thomas. The poor guy, his entire, I mean, 2,000 years, we've called him Doubting Thomas. How embarrassing, Right? I mean, we get to heaven, I'm, I'm not going to call him that, but that's not how you would write the story if you were going to make it up. Do you guys follow here? This is not a made-up story. They wrote it just as it happened. That's what they did. They were eyewitness accounts. <laughs> it's interesting, too, because they're running scared. They're not going to overpower Roman guards. That's just not in them. Some say Jesus didn't even intend for them to think he was God. You know what's weird about that? Because he thought he was God. <laughs> and he said it over and over and over and over. So when I hear people say that, I'm, I kind of look at him sideways. I'm like, have you read it? Have you read the white witness accounts? Because he really does say it. And he says it over and over. In fact, just, just an example. He says, he uses this term, I am. And here's, I think, why some people miss it. If, <laughs> if I were talking to you and I just threw in there that I am, you, you might miss it. You might miss the, the importance of that statement. But it's actually a really important statement. And Jesus, because he was Jewish, when he said that to a Jewish audience, all of their ears perked up. And they said, wait a minute, you can't say that. You know why? Because one of their heroes of the faith would have been Moses. And you remember he was, uh, Pharaoh was killing all the, the uh, Israelite boys, so his mother hid him in a basket, put him on the Nile. He was rescued from the Nile by Pharaoh's daughter, raised in Pharaoh's court. Then he... He defends an, uh, an Israelite from an Egyptian, kills the Egyptian. He leaves. He goes into the wilderness. Then God calls him to come and set his people free. Do you remember the story? He's out in the wilderness with sheep, and he sees this bush that's on fire but not consumed, and he wanders over to it, and from the, voice, the bush, this voice calls out and says, take off your shoes, you're on holy ground. And Moses takes off his, probably sandals, probably not shoes, takes off his sandals, and he comes up, and this voice says, you are going to set my people free. And he tells him all this. And Moses at one point says, well, who am I supposed to tell him is telling me this? And the voice says, tell him I am says this. Now, when he said that, that phrase, that little two-word phrase is packed with so much meaning. Because in their time, they had all these localized gods, like you had the gods of Egypt, and you had the gods of Assyria, the gods of, of Babylon. You have all these separate gods, and they were just local gods. They didn't actually control each other, control the world. And yet the God of our God created everything. And basically what he was telling us is I never had a beginning and I don't have an end. I am. I always am. So that phrase, I am, meant everything to the Jews. So when Jesus used it, they knew exactly what he meant. Let me just give you some examples. So in John chapter 6, this is just such a cool chapter in the Bible. First of all, Jesus feeds 5,000 in the beginning of this book or this chapter. Then he walks on water and then a crowd gathers again, and basically they're hungry again. So Jesus uses all of this, all of this uh, really cool imagery because, remember, we were just talking about Moses. 
And remember, how did the people uh, eat when they were in the wilderness? Moses provided food for them. I mean, kind of. God did it through manna. So Jesus replies to them and he says, I am the bread of life. They would have known exactly what he meant. When he said that, I'm sure the religious rulers of the day were just like, what? You can't say that. You're claiming to be God and you're claiming to be able to give us bread just like Moses gave us in the wilderness. There's no way. You can't do that. Jesus knew he was God. He says to this, he makes it even better. He says, whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty And then he goes on in chapter 8, Jesus spoke to the people once more and he says, I am the light of the world. The light of the world. What does light do? Light gives us, it, it lets us see everything. Light is life. Nothing lives on this planet without light. He is saying, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Think about this. He's reminding them about creation. And when God said, let there be light, he says, I am light. He is basically telling them, I am God. And they knew it. They totally understood what he said. Then he goes on, and and later in that same chapter, Jesus answered, he said, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was ever born, I am. Now that just shook them to the core. Because Moses was a big leader for them, Abraham was also. Then when he said, before Abraham was, I am, they knew what he meant exactly. And you can tell from this next verse. At that point, they picked up stones to throw at him, because Jesus. but Jesus was then hidden from them and left the temple. They were going to kill him for claiming to be God. They knew exactly what he's saying. Later in chapter 10, he says, I am the door, or some, some versions say the gate. It's talking about like a sheep pen. And if he's going to lead his people, because they often talked about the imagery of God leading the people of Israel like a shepherd leads sheep, and he would lead them out to feed them. He says, those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. He is telling them he is the only way to life. And he doesn't even stop there. In the next chapter, he says, I am the good shepherd. I I am the good shepherd, and the shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. He's prefiguring the crucifixion. It goes on in, in chapter 11. This is a story where Lazarus had died. He goes, to, he goes to raise Lazarus from the dead, but nobody knows what's going on. Martha, Lazarus' sister, comes to him and says, You've healed so many people. If you'd have only been here, you could have healed my, my brother. She doesn't realize who she's talking to yet. And he tells her one of the most famous lines in the Bible. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. I wonder what was going on in her head. She just probably like, oh my goodness, he is claiming to be God because he is God. Then in chapter 14, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Except through me. People can say what they want, but clearly Jesus knew he was God. He knew that. He knew who he was. He told the disciples who he was. He told the religious leaders who he was. He told them why he came. He told them what he was going to do. He told them what it would do for them. He told them that they would have life and life more abundantly. He told them he was coming to change everything. Here, it just amazes me. The creator of the universe, who existed in splendor and glory of his own, he didn't need to come here. You know, the earth is a difficult place to be sometimes. Have you noticed that? Things don't last. Things break. People disappoint. There's cruelty. 
I mean, you look at human history, it is literally littered with cruelty over and over and over. And human beings subjugating other human beings and taking advantage. It is a brutal, brutal place. I wonder sometimes why God even puts up with us. It'd be so easy to, to just start over, or right? And what did he choose to do? Jesus left the perfection of heaven, and he came down to his creation as one of his creation, a helpless little baby. I know there's people who have babies in this room right now, and if you don't, maybe you remember, maybe you've taken care of a baby. They are helpless. Have you noticed? Have you noticed how they need cared for at every moment? And the God, I, I just blows my mind, the God of the universe, supernatural, could do anything, comes as helpless. He came as one of us, born to a, a poor couple in a, in a tiny village, away from their, even their home and their family. He grew up in obscurity with no wealth, no inheritance, really. I mean, he, he grew up with no prestige, no name recognition. He wasn't born into a famous family or royalty. He wasn't born with any of the things that normally we associate with success. He had no name recognition, no powerful position. He didn't own a, a house or a car or truck or Harley. <laughs> I bet he wanted one, though. I'm sure he thought about that. You think about it. He never... He never even traveled more than 200 miles from where he was born. He never did. You know why? He didn't come to do that. He didn't come to do those things. He didn't come to own any of that stuff because none of that matters. He's the creator of the universe. He didn't need stuff. He came to redeem us. He had one goal, one mission, and that was it. So for us, a lot of times we look at his life and we think, how uncomfortable. A lot of times he didn't have a place to even live he didn't run for office. He didn't try to be a preacher or pastor. He was a teacher who led his people. But then his story changed everything. Everything. His story changed everything. His sacrifice changed everything. His story gave us access to God the Father. Before that, people were separated by, by rules and by religion and other things. And yet he came to, to wipe all that away and to open the door directly. He said, I'm the gate. I am the way. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. His story gave us freedom. Freedom from addiction, freedom from selfishness, from self-importance, all the things that we put on ourselves. He bought reconciliation between man and God. He did all that. He brought us healing. He brought us wholeness. He's a God who loves and cares and puts himself out there and sacrifices for us. I can have the worship team. You're ready to join me up here. Jesus took our place. He took our place. So a lot of people ask, well, what changed really? When, when Jesus came, what changed? I don't think it's hyperbole at all to say everything changed. Everything changed. And it changed in ways that the people didn't really think it would change that way. They were expecting change in a different way. What they expected is for Jesus to come like humans do and have some power over type change. Some power where he would come and muscle his way in and destroy things and take the current leadership and, and humiliate them and, and embarrass them. That's not what he did. His change started in the hearts of men and women and children. He started here. And then that change builds and builds and builds and builds and flows out through every sector of humanity. You know what else I love? 
He didn't come to the rich and the wealthy and the powerful. He came to the poorest of us. Because that way, nobody was left out. And he was accessible to everyone. He did something that none of us would think because we're human and we're, we're fraught with, with human values and human ideas. What changed? Everything changed. We've all sinned. Every single one of us. I know for some people it's different. Maybe you look at some people and think, oh, they've never done anything wrong. But I guarantee you they have. Every single one of us. The problem is we can't make it right on our own. You can't do enough to make yourself good enough for a perfect God. None of us will ever be that good. You can't try hard enough. You can't buy forgiveness. You can't, you can't earn it. You can't walk far enough to get it. You can't climb a mountain high enough to get it. You can't follow enough rules. You can't punish yourself enough. You can't... You would never ever be worthy. You are, the truth is every one of us are, are headed to punishment in hell without Jesus. That's the truth. But Jesus took our place. And when he did, he changed everything. Because all of a sudden now, we can actually have peace with God. It's a great Jewish Hebrew word. Shalom means peace with God. They use it as a greeting and it means peace. But it means so much more than that. What it means is, is having a relationship with God the Father where there's nothing between you, no animosity at all. You know how it is in human terms when maybe somebody's offended you or maybe you've done something and maybe, maybe you don't even know what it is, but you know something's wrong, right? You guys know what I'm talking about? You come into a relationship and you're like, man, something feels funny. Something's off. The truth is we're all off when it comes to us and God. And the truth is what Jesus did is he came to give us peace to reconcile that relationship once and for all. And that we can, we can now have a relationship with him that is pure and clean and honest and open, full of trust, no more shame, no more hiddenness. There's nothing you can do to separate you from him anymore. He gives us grace because we could never deserve it. You could never earn it. But you have peace with the God of the universe. You're free from guilt. There's a certain freedom in that where you are comfortable in his presence because you know that you are right. It's funny because you're free from following the rules. You're free from following the rules. You know why? Because you don't have to anymore. I know some of you are thinking, wait, what, what? Here's why. You don't have to because you want to. It changes everything. It changes everything. You want to do it and because you want to, you follow them naturally. It's never an effort anymore. St. Augustine said it this way, love God and do whatever you want. Because if you love him, what you want to do will be the right thing. It changes everything from the heart outward. Love God and you will love others. If you love God, you will want to do right things. If you love God, your nature changes. And the way you treat other people is different. The way you want for yourselves is different. And the what you want for the world is different. You want a different world because it's inside you. And here's the truth. That is Jesus' story. Now, we recently did a series of sermons called My Jesus Story. And the fact is, we have a story because of Jesus' story. We wouldn't have any of these stories had it not been for Jesus himself and his story. But because of his story, we have stories. And I don't know what your story is here today. So many of you told me, and we have some great video that we'll be sharing with you soon about those. But some of the ones we shared in here are powerful, powerful stories. There's healing for marriages because of Jesus' story. You remember the Rollins and their story. Your identity is safe. You're accepted. You are included just like you are. You probably remember Ian's story. 
There's physical healing. Healing for what ails you because of Jesus. You remember Patrick, I'm Pam Fitzpatrick's story. There's community. A place where you belong, where you are known, you're loved, you're accepted. You probably remember Maddie's story. There's forgiveness for you. For you and for you to give to others. Because of Jesus' story. That was Johnny's story. There's spiritual healing for your soul. It's Barbara's story. Here's the truth. Because of Jesus' story, you can have a story where your life has changed forever. Forever and ever. One thing about our God, though, is he's not going to force you. He doesn't twist your arm. He doesn't do that. Humans do that. Humans coerce and spin and make up all this. God doesn't do that. What he does is he says, I have come to give you life and life more abundantly, but you choose it. You have to choose it because he wants a real relationship with you. He doesn't want one coerced. He wants it to be true. He wants it to be honest. He wants it to be authentic. And it's something that for a lot of us, you, you come to him and you, you make it right and then you realize, oh, I slipped up in this, but that's okay because you can make it right again. Now, I know there's a big crowd here and a lot of people and I don't know everybody and I don't know, I don't know any of your you know, true spiritual condition. What I do know is there's a God who loves you. He cares for you. He sent his son to die for you to restore a relationship. And if your relationship is not what you know it should be today, you could change that today. You could change it today. It's as simple as you acknowledging the fact that you need change, asking him to forgive you. By doing that, you appropriate the sacrifice that Christ made, which we celebrated on Good Friday just two days ago, three days ago. And then he will change your life. And he will change your life today and tonight and tomorrow morning and the next day and the next day and more and more and more. You become more and more like him. And less of the selfishness drops away and less of the the frustration and the anger drops away and the peace that he gives you is amazing. There's nothing like it in the world. So I'm gonna ask you to do this for me. I'd like everybody in the room just to shut your eyes for a second. It's a simple thing. I ask people to do that in a big crowd because that way you have a sense of privacy. And I'm gonna ask you just some simple questions today because this is the whole point of today. I'm gonna ask if, first of all, if there's anybody in here, maybe, maybe you've considered Christianity before, maybe you have not. But you realize today that you need this. You need a life with him that can start today and last for all of eternity. And if that's you and you want to tell him that you're sorry and that you want him to change your life, I'm just going to ask you to do a simple thing. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand and then we'll pray for you. Is there anybody like that today? I do see the hand. I appreciate that. Anybody else? Anybody else? I do see the hand. I appreciate that. And I, I see that. Thank you. Anybody else? Appreciate your honesty. I'm going to ask one other question with your eyes closed and then we'll pray. I'm going to ask this. I, I know that for most of us, we, we fail. I mean, all of us. I, I don't even know why I said most. We all fail. Maybe you're sitting here today and you realize, look, I'm not just, I'm, I love him. I've got relationship, but there's some things between us I need to clear up. And I need to tell him that. And I need to restore that relationship to what it should be. Anybody here like that? You raise your hand and we could just pray together. See a lot of hands. I appreciate your honesty. Let's do this. I, could you all stand with me for just a moment? 
for those of you who, who raised your hand for that first thing, I would love to speak to you today before you leave. I know it's busy and there's pictures and all that. We have time. But I would love to speak to you about that if, if you would care to. And, and I'll be down here at the front. And, um, but I want to pray for all of you. And whether you raise your hand in that first time where you want to start this relationship or the second time and you know that there's things. As I pray right now, I just want you to pray along with me. So when I tell God that we need forgiveness, I want you to say that in your own words and say it like you mean it because he knows the difference. It's all about you and him. And then when you ask him to help you live for him, I just want you to say that in your own words. So pray along with me as I pray, if you would. Join me. Father, we come before you as people who are in need of a relationship with you. God, I am sorry for the things that we have done that are wrong, that I've done that are wrong. I want it to be different. I want to live for you. I want you to help me, change me. Make my, my values yours. Make my attitudes yours. Make my choices what you would want. God, change me from the inside out. Help me to be brand new. God, for those of us who in this room who, who maybe we've got some things to take care of, God, I pray that you would come and change us. God, we're sorry for the times that we have failed you. We're sorry for the times that we have not lived up to what you called us to do. I pray in the name of Jesus that you would make us brand new. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As our worship team uh, leads us, uh, I want to just encourage you to have the best Easter. Take some time to greet some people. Uh, Maybe get a picture out in the lobby. God bless you. Thank you for being here. I would like to talk to any of you, though, who had raised your hand and would like some prayer to talk up in the front. God bless you today.